If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 2 Peter, it's a book in the back of the Bible uh, towards the end. It's a little a letter or epistle that we believe was written by the Apostle uh, Peter. Uh, he has written to us to kind of tell us about the grace of God and how to live. Uh, today we are in our last uh, week of a th- little mini three-week series of this incredible uh, book of God. And I hope and pray that God has blessed you uh, as you heard God's word, and he will again this morning. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a cool and generous uncle? I mean, do you have a, a, an uncle or someone in your life like that, that you just always looked up to? They were always kind of bigger than life, cool, and, and even better yet, if they were generous. It seems to me everyone needs to have someone like that. Uh, for me, my, my favorite uncle was Uncle Brian. He met all the qualifications for a cool favorite uncle. You know, he, he just was cool and everything he kind of said and did. And uh, visiting him was always a highlight. And for us, one of my formative years of growing up, he lived in the Detroit area, right outside of Detroit. And so every Thanksgiving, we took a family trek across upstate New York into Canada, into Canada and eventually down into Michigan, into Detroit to spend Thanksgiving. And it was the best Thanksgiving that any kid could spend. It wasn't because it was Detroit. And it wasn't just because it was with family. It was because my cool uncle did something every Thanksgiving day that a kid my age would dream of. He got tickets to the Detroit Lions football game. And so for those of you who know, uh, you know that uh, on Thanksgiving Day, Detroit is the team that always will host one of the games of football. And we know for the block of time that he lived there and that we went to see him, we were going to go to that Thanksgiving Day game. And I'm telling you, what a joy that was for a kid to have football live. But I'll never forget the one year that we showed up and we were driving to the Silver Dome. That's where they played at the time. And, and apparently my uncle had a few extra tickets. And so unbeknownst to us, uh, we see people that have signs, scalpers around, and he, he slows down and he rolls down his window uh, and he all of a sudden exchanges some tickets for cash. He just sold some of the tickets that we don't need and he turned around and he handed me the cash. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm going to a Thanksgiving football game and my Uncle Brian has now put in my hand some spending money. This is awesome. It couldn't be better than that. Well, there's so many things about him and his lifestyle that I admired, but one of the things was his watch. He always uh, had a a, a nice watch that he was wearing, and I remember as a child one day, I'm sure I was uh, overly zealous admiring his watch, probably leading him down a path where he says, Jeffrey, I'm going to give you a watch. He made a promise to me that, that I would have my very own watch from my very favorite uncle. Well, he made the promise, and we went home, and I was eager to get it, waiting in the mail, probably asking my parents, hey, when do you think Uncle Brian's going to send me my watch? I say, what? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get around to it. And the days became, turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into months, and I really believe the months began to turn into years. And I began to wonder, am I going to get that watch? Tom Petty will sing and remind us that the Waiting is the hardest part. Uh, Certainly the waiting as a child. 
what did you have to wait for as a child? We all probably can remember Christmas Eve, right? Or, or maybe a certain promise to be fulfilled. That as children to wait for a promise to be fulfilled, oh my goodness, it could feel like an eternity. Well, in the midst of that waiting, questions emerge. They emerge for all of us. You've had them and I've had them. As you've waited for a promise to be fulfilled, you start wondering, do you think that my uncle forgot the promise? Do you think he forgot that he looked me in the eye and he told me that he was going to get me my very own watch? But then you might thinking, well, did somehow my, my generous uncle all of a sudden lose the resources and he didn't have the power or the ability to get me this watch? Is there something bad happening to my uncle that all of a sudden he's not able to do what he promised he was going to do? Or then the worst of all, and I'm sure you felt the same as well, you start wondering, did I do something really bad to disqualify myself from the promise? Did he hear about something? Did Mike's parents spill the beans? Did some teacher write him a note? Am I really that much trouble? Did I do something really bad that I'm no longer qualified or I'm disqualified from this? Well, see, these are the questions, the very questions that the church was asking and that uh, Peter was addressing to the promise of Jesus Christ's return. Jesus had promised them, and he, he promises us, is that he will come back for us. Jesus made a promise that he will return, and, and when he returns, he's going to bring with him a new heaven and a new earth. And when he returns, he's going to dry every tear. And when he returns, everything's going to be made new. And when he returns, really, we literally are going to have heaven and earth together. There's going to be no more cancer. There's going to be more death of loved ones. There's going to be no more prodigal children. There's going to be no more divorce. There's going to be no more brokenness and pain. And, and man, he's promised so much. When is it going to come? Not only that, he says that when he comes, he's finally going to set their record straight. He's finally going to judge those who, who are wicked and don't believe. And he's going to bless those of us by his grace that he's loved and he's called his own. But a lot of time has passed since Jesus made that promise. I mean, for us, it's been thousands of years. But you got to know that for the early church, those who, who were eyewitnesses or those who knew eyewitnesses to Jesus's life, death and resurrection, you know what they thought? They thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. He said, I'm coming back soon. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, where is he? And what's going on? As a matter of fact, they started to really get concerned because some of the people who had, had seen and heard about the resurrection, they died. They're gone. And he hasn't come back. And so what happens to those who, who have already died before his return? And, and how are we to live right now? You see, in the midst of the, his delayed coming back, they started asking some difficult questions. Is he unable to come? Is Jesus and our God not powerful enough to come? Is he unwilling to come? Is he, is he not being truthful with us? He told us he's coming back, but now he's not coming. Is he, is he not willing? Is he untruthful? And we see that Peter tells us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that he hasn't come back yet by his grace. It's all by grace that he has and his patience for waiting to come back until just the right time. And he tells us not only is it because of his grace that he's waiting, but he gives us grace while we're waiting, while we're waiting for that, that return of Jesus and how to live. So let's pick up the story in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 8 
And again, in verses 1 through 7, they're asking those questions and they're really saying, hey, some people have already died and it seems like everything's the same. Um, life feels like really the same. God's made these promises. Jesus came, he, he lived, he died, he was resurrected. And now what? We're in limbo. And he's going to tell us how to live by his grace as we, as we wait. We're going to read 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through the rest of the chapter in verse 18. Let's be mindful that this is God's holy word. I mean, Peter wrote it in his own, his own style, uh, his own flair, so to speak, or, or maybe even a scribe wrote it for him because the Greek is really good. But we know that this is the reality that God breathed his very being into these words. And so the point is, they're for you. God wants to talk to you today. God wants to meet you today. And God wants to transform you today through his holy word. Let's hear God's word together. It'll be uh, in the bulletin for you if you'll have a, God's, a Bible with you or on the screen behind me. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise if some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, or, or basically there'll be judgment. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Let's hit pause there for a minute. We're going to unpack this. Did you hear what that just said? How are we supposed to live as we wait and hasten? Is there something about our lifestyle that could be like a foot on an accelerator that moves us closer to the day of the Lord? According to God's word, there is. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. That's so important. We'll come back to that as well. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. These are some of the things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Again, let's hit pause. This is incredible what Peter says. He says, you know, Paul is going to write on similar things and he's going to talk about the end times as well. And, and those who are ignorant are going to twist it. But what I want you to see is, did you see how he referred to Paul's writings? Scripture. And the reality that there was a scripture that was upheld as equal to the Old Testament. It's one of the great foundations of the fact that we see God's word, old and new, being God's word. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. And the verse that we began and end and wrapped around. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And let us pray together. And Father God, we thank you for who you are, our triune God. And God, you are a God who cannot lie. You are a God that cannot not tell the truth because you are truthful in all that you do. And God, we know that all of your promises will come true in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that reality. And God, you promised that not only would you love us and not only would you rescue us, but you would return for us. And that one day you would solve everything that is broken. And one day, one day you're going to make right all that is undone. We long for that day. We long for that hope. And we long for that fulfillment of that promise. But God, we thank you for the grace that you've given us today. We thank you for the hope that we have for tomorrow. And Father, now we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and be with your people and that you would be pleased to speak to each and every one of us. That God, you'd be pleased to speak to a broken sinner like myself. And God, when we get to a text like this that, that is so deep and so, so broad and, and, and so in some ways difficult, I just confess, I, I don't have nearly the gray matter to unpack this in a way that you deserve and your word deserves. So can you come and do it? Would you unfold your word for us today? Would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your will? God, would you give us hearts that embrace your truth? And would you give us feet that walk in a manner worthy of your name? The things that I say that are wrong are just my opinion, especially on a a topic like this, may those things quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the hope of a coming Messiah and the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy and perfect name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me on your bulletin, you'll find an outline. There's just two points that we are going to look at today. And let me begin with a little bit of a, a warning, if you will, a little caveat that today we will be journeying to the very edge of my theological understanding. For some of you, you might think that was a long journey and we went through deep waters. For some of you may think that wasn't a very short trip. But for all of us, uh, may God illumine uh, his word in our hearts. The first thing is this, is the grace of God for waiting. What this text begins by telling us is that God's timetable is not our timetable. That God sees time in a completely different way than you and I see time. It's all we know. It's all we've ever experienced is time. And oh, the beauty and the reality of our God is that he truly is Emmanuel, a God with us and a God who goes before us and a God who goes with us and a, and a God who, who hems us in. This is mighty God, and God and God alone, he's even the creator of time. I mean, time is his idea. Time was his plan. plan. Time was his creation. And although it is his creation, he is eternal. God is outside of time. So he is one who is timeless. He's the alpha and the, the omega. He's the beginning and the end. God is, is not trapped in time like you and I are. He's sovereign, eternal over it. It's kind of crazy, but true, biblically true, that 
that God sees time altogether. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. He, he knows where we are. So, so time is something different for him than it is for us. And when Peter says to the Lord, like one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is, is like one day, he's quoting Psalm 90. And he's reminding us the truth and the reality that, that God is eternal and God himself is, is outside of, of time. But it says this, it says the Lord isn't slow to keep his promises like some count slowness. I mean, how many things has God promised you're saying, come on, why can't this be true now? Why can't this be reality right this very moment? And God's word says he's not slow to keep them. He's patient. He's patient. He's, he's long suffering. He wants to make sure that, that no one will perish. God is patient. How are you? Are you a patient person? <laughs> when I think of God being long-suffering, and you think of all the junk that's happening in our world. Let's just stop for a minute. Holy God right now is observing and watching uh, all the things that are happening in our crazy world. Is he not long-suffering? Is he not patient with us? I think of the fact that I, I can't even be patient in the line of Costco. I mean, all I want to do is I want to get there and make sure I've, I've, I've identified the, close, the shortest line. I'm going to spy out who has got the least amount of things in their cart. They may look like they're big, bulky things, but they only got three things. You've got to be aware of that. And I know, I know the staff at Costco. I know who, those who want to chit-chat and those who want to get us through the line. And it's very important that you navigate the right line at Costco. I'm telling you, my patience can wear so thin sometimes that things can go not my way, that things can get interrupting my schedule. It's, you know what I want to say? Ah, forget about it. Let's just, let's just leave. Forget about it. It's not, it's not worth it. I love the beauty and the reality of our God that sees your broken life, my broken life, this broken world, and yet he's long-suffering and patient. He's not saying, forget it. Do you know how sick I am of them? Do you know how wandering sheep they are? Do you know the mess they're making of everything? I can't stand it anymore. I'm going to come and destroy and bring those that I love back to me. Oh, my goodness. Thank God for his patience. Thank God for his, his long suffering. They say patience is a virtue. Do you have it? That virtue is most clearly seen in our God who is not slow to keep his promise. He's just patient. See, God doesn't want, wish that any would perish, that all would be saved. Again, let's just, let's just stop and think. If it was true that, that Jesus came back in, in their lifetime, if, if Peter and that early church were the witness that Jesus is coming back, guess what? We'd never know him. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be in. We wouldn't be loved. We wouldn't experience the life that we have. Thank God for his patience. Thank God for his patience for those of us that we've prayed for our kids and our grandkids and our neighbors to come to Christ. And, and when they do, we're like, oh, God, thank you. Thank you for your patience. A God who doesn't wish that any shall perish, that all shall be saved. Now that's, a, that's an interesting phrase right there. A God who wishes that none will perish and that all will be saved. Who are the all? Now, we can clearly see that all aren't saved. And if the reality is, is all don't embrace Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, is, is God frustrated? I mean, is God up in heaven thinking, oh man, I, I just hope they, they choose Jesus, my, my son is their Savior. Oh, I'm hoping that they embrace me as Lord and Savior. Man, I hope they do it. Is, is God's will ever frustrated? Could there ever be one thing that mighty God doesn't will that doesn't come to fruition? 
And yet he'll say something very curious is that he has a desire or a a, a wish or a will that none will perish and that all will be saved. Hmm, what do we do with that? Well, one of the things we could do is we can say it is true. None will perish. All of God's elect, all of God's children, all of God's sheep, all of God's true church. Well, they will be saved. Those whom the Father has loved before time began, Ephesians 1, 4, those that he predestined to life, they all will come to faith. Those whom Jesus Christ died for on the cross, they, they all will come to faith. All those that the Holy Spirit will give new life to, those elected before time began. Jesus will say it this way in his own words in in John 6, verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And all who come to me, I'll no way drive away. Now there's a mystery here. And a mystery that I can't fully unpack is that God does so love the world that he would send his only son. God does love his image. But God eternally, for uh, just just because it pleased him, has set a particular, unique, eternal love on his own. A rescuing love, uh, electing love. You know, that's why in, in uh, 2 Peter 1.10, when we began this journey together, Peter tells us, hey, make sure of your calling and election. Make sure of that. You want to make sure that you're a part of the family. And, and you may want to ask, well, how do I know? How do I know for sure if I'm in that calling and a part of that election of God? And I'll tell you how. It's if you've experienced the grace of God. If you're able to say, by God's grace, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, your calling and election is sure. If you now experience the grace of God, you've experienced the peace of God, that you know that that Jesus really has become your sin and you in Christ Jesus are are the righteousness of God. You have peace with a holy God. If if you have that grace, if you have that peace, and also if you have a longing for holiness, if you want to be like Jesus, and yes, we all stumble, yes, we all fail, we're nowhere near, but there's a longing. Then we know that our calling and election is sure. But this passage says, seemingly says that God doesn't wish that any should perish. Not just the elect. Again, we have to ask, can God wish something that cannot come true? Is he frustrated? Well, theologians will talk about the will of God. There's one will of God, but they'll dissect that for us. And hang with me. We're going to go into some theological deep waters right here. They're going to talk about the decretive will of God versus or also the perceptive will of God. And the decretive will of God is God is God Almighty. And what God wants to do, guess what? He does. And he does it every single time. Everything that he decrees will come to pass. There's nothing that will ever frustrate it. There's nothing that will ever stop it. What God decrees will be executed. It's a secret will. We don't know it fully. It says in Scripture, there's some secret things of God that only he knows, and there's revealed things. That's the perceptive will. But his decretive will cannot be broken. One of the joys of going to seminary when I had children was that uh, as I went to seminary, uh, I had to uh, pass a catechism exam, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Shorter Catechisms. We had to know the great questions and answers to, to deep truths of God. And the way I learned them was uh, through a, a classmate who had actually gone before me. Uh, it was a, a, a Latin descent who put to song 
all of the questions and answers. And so everything that I learned, I can now learn, and it goes through song. And everything has a little bit of a Latino accent to it. And so my, my theology has got that little accent to it. But the great thing is, is I learned it on a cassette tape. You guys remember, anybody remember cassette tapes? And my car had a cassette tape. And my kids grew up, and every time I was in the car with them, we were listening to the catechism songs, pray for them. But the cool thing about my children, especially the older ones, if you ask them, what are the decrees of God, they will start singing to you. And they will say, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained it. Whatsoever comes to pass. Now, I'm guessing, yeah, thank you very much. I'm guessing that you uh, probably missed some of that stuff, but it's an incredible question and answers. It basically says, the decrees of God are this. Whatever happens, God has willed it. And he's willed all things. And there's a mystery there because then you want to start thinking good and evil or all. Uh, God is sovereign over all. He is, and he's still not the author of that. And I don't have time this morning to unpack all of that. But there's a reality. You've got to know the decree of will of God, that God is God, and what God wills, it will be done. But there's also this perceptive will of God. And, and the perceptive will of God, we can see it's revealed in his word. It, it reveals who he is. And, and that will can be broken. The decreative will can never be broken. But the perceptive will, like, have no other idols before me. Has anybody broken that? Anybody broken any of the commandments that he's told us about? We, we break them all the time. Well, the perceptive will of God that's revealed in his word also reveals to us his character. And the perceptive will, we realize that he does say that he desires that none shall perish. And I believe it to be true. Some people say, hey, Jeff, I know you're Reformed. I know you're a Calvinist. And I know that you believe that, that God has elected some for salvation. I'll say, yes, I do. It's very scriptural. You'll find it there too. But they said, so therefore, you, you, you don't believe that he, he, uh, um, that he delights in the death of the wicked. That somehow you think that, that your God is so angry in me that he delights in the death of the wicked. I said, never once. Scripture clearly says it. It says it twice very clearly in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel 33. It says this about your God and my God. I take no delight in the death of the wicked. All I would desire that all will turn to me. And I think that there is a true sense of God's perceptive will that he doesn't delight in that. And it is a sense where anyone who comes to me, I'll never drive away. We could probably see this clearly in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 27, where he's looking and weeping over Jerusalem. And he's looking over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you like a mother hen. How I've longed to gather you, but you were unwilling. You see, there's a, a longing for God, a desire for God that none shall perish. And none of his that are truly his will perish. But God loves his creation. And here's the way I see it. That God is not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient in the fact that all the sheep aren't home yet. Maybe it's your great, great, great granddaughter that's still got to come to Christ. And, and when she comes home and she embraces Christ as Lord and Savior and all the sheep are home, that Jesus will come back, I don't know. But I know this about our great God. He's not going to close the door until his family's home. Would a good father do that? You see, the thing about parents is we long for the gathering of our children, but we don't have the power, the authority to, to make sure they come home safely, but our God does. And our God says this, there's not one I'm going to lose. And we just got to realize the grace of God for waiting for us.
See, Jesus' delay is not that he's not coming back. His delay is not showing that he's unable to come back, that he's not powerful. His delay is not saying he's not willing to come back, that he's not truthful. It's by God's grace and patience that he hasn't come back. Because he's waiting. It says, I'm waiting for that salvation. And waiting there's salvation for those who will come and turn. And may today be the day that some of you who have yet to embrace Christ turn and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Somehow get that day closer to us. You see, it tells us it's God's grace and patience for waiting. He also tells us that he gives us grace for us while we are waiting. Waiting for him to come back. Let's look at the second thing. The grace of God while waiting. Mrs. Quayle, what an incredible uh, seventh grade math teacher she was. Not only a great teacher, but Mrs. Quayle, I mean, she ran a tight classroom. She wasn't a big lady. She was kind of slight. And she honestly, kind of scary looking. Uh, nothing against Mrs. Quayle, but maybe a little bit of arch in her back and a little bit of a, a, a nose that looked like it was a little scary. But I tell you what, she was a great teacher. And she commanded her classroom. And you were afraid of Mrs. Quayle a little bit. You wanted to learn. She was a, she, she wanted to, to learn what she was telling. But the one day Mrs. Quayle stepped out of the classroom, I could not believe what happened. I mean, it was nanoseconds. The chaos ensued. I mean, all of a sudden, we were free. Mrs. Quayle's not here. And, I mean, the spitballs were flying. The words you didn't think you were going to hear in math class, they were, they were being said. I mean, kids were, were acting completely out of order. You're like, what in the world? Until Mrs. Quayle came back in the building or the room and everything was restored. So how should it be for us while we wait? I mean, do we feel like the authority of God is gone and hasn't? I mean, should chaos ensue? It shouldn't. What kind of people should we live? Well, it says that while we are waiting for his return, we should live holy and godly lives, it says in, in verse 11. That basically we should be imitators of God as, as dearly loved children. And his delay, it doesn't give us license to act like heathens or act like we don't know God. It actually says in verse 14 that when, we come, when he comes back, we should be found without spot or blemish. Wow. You know, it's interesting. For those of you who have studied God's word and you hear things like without spot or blemish, that we should present ourselves without spot and blemish. Some of you may think of Ephesians 5, a great passage, a great passage of marriage that we're reminded of marriage and how we should act as husband and wife. And he says, husbands, and, and 527, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that, that Christ washed us in the word and, and presents us before the Father without spot or blemish or wrinkle. And yet here he tells us that we're the ones to, to present ourselves without spot or wrinkle or blemish. So the question, whose job is it? Is it God's job to make us without spot, blemish, or wrinkle, or is it our job? The answer is yes. You see, it's all by God's grace. Because of the work of Christ, right now, this very nanosecond church in, in Christ Jesus, he sees us without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish in Christ Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? But the reality is the mirror tells you and your life tells you that you've got lots of blemishes, lots of wrinkles, lots of issues that he's still working out. He says, I still want you to work out your salvation. I still want you to work hard to become more like Christ Jesus while we wait with God May we be more like Jesus. But it says this, waiting and speeding the day of the Lord. We're waiting for the good stuff to still come. We're in between. But right now, we're to live our lives and we're to evangelize and tell others. And somehow, as, as we live our lives, 
as a church that's supposed to be holy and blameless, as, as we pursue Christ's likeness, as we share our faith, somehow, mysteriously, we're speeding the day of the Lord. Let me just go back into the theological deep waters. God is not sovereign, not just sovereign over the ends. He's sovereign over the means. Stick with me. God is sovereign over everything that will come to pass. I mean, he's ruling, he's reigning. What comes to pass is by his design. But also, God is sovereign over the means. And he chooses to use our godliness and our holiness and our evangelism to advance the day of Christ. He chooses to use us to speed the day of the Lord. Now, it's a mystery that I, I can't fully unpack. But it's just similar like how God chooses to use prayer. Now, we could say, well, everything that God's decreed is going to come to pass. Why pray? Why bother? What a fruitless exercise. If God's going to do it, does it matter? When I say, yes, it does matter because God chooses to hear and act on our prayers. He's sovereign over the ends and the means. And it pleases him to hear from us. It pleases him to use our very prayers to accomplish his will because he's an incredible, loving father. And somehow it pleases him for us to live our lives in holiness and godliness, evangelizing those who don't believe, telling them the good news, to speed the day of the Lord. The Puritans got this right. There may be some things the Puritans didn't get right, but when they looked at this passage, they realized, hey, it's important how we live. Let's be godly. Let's be holy. And and it's important how we share. Let's, Let's make sure the world knows about Jesus because as soon as they do, he'll come back. And so they lived their life saying, may the hope of Christ's return make me live more like Jesus. And how are we to live? Well, we're to live at peace. It says that we are to be holy without wrinkle, but also at peace. Peace that God will keep his promise. When anybody talks about the end times and they lack peace, be very weary of what they're saying. There's a friend of mine that I've come to know through Rollins Baseball that, that uh, theologically we are on completely different uh, spectrums. We both love Jesus, and that's about it. Um, and he's found a way to my house, and he bikes to my house. He's a, he's a nice guy, but he recently biked to my house, and he wanted to talk about end times. He said he had a friend who was just convinced that the wrath of God was about ready to be poured out of America. That America had done so much, and somewhere he found in prophecy, I'm like, yeah, show me that, um, where America is going to get blown up, and he's moving out. And he's got his whole family up in arms, and his wife, and, and, and his marriage is strained, his kids are strained, and, and he's convinced, and zero peace. And, I, and he said, what do you think, Pastor? I said, well, I don't know when he's coming back, but I know he is. But I know we're supposed to have peace before then. You see, I know that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know we're supposed to love our neighbors ourselves. And his greatest neighbor, humanly speaking, is his wife. And if he really thinks that God's going to tell him something to stop loving his wife and somehow flee to Costa Rica because they're going to be safer than us. There's a lot of bad theology out there when it comes to end times. There's a lot of bad theology of what's going to happen. And again, I don't have time this morning to unpack any of it really. But I want to tell you something that you got to know that God is promised to come back and he will. And we are to be at peace. Peace knowing that he will keep his word. We're to be ready. It says we're to, he's going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to come when no one knows. So we, we got to be ready. 
I love the theology of one of our, our friends. Uh, she was willing to admit that before she went to bed every night, she prayed this. Jesus, I know you're coming tomorrow. I know you're going to come tomorrow. And then she was off the hook that he won't come tomorrow. Because scripture says, I'm going to come when no man knows or no woman. And she's claimed that she knows. So tomorrow, he, she's free. Now listen, no one knows. And you're not going to be able to manipulate God. But you always got to be ready. Here's what you got to know as well. There's nothing that needs to take place in our world that keeps Jesus from coming back. There's nothing that needs to be built, nothing needs to be done. He's ready and willing and able to come back today. When you walk out my side door, you'll see a, 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 um, a painting that says perhaps today. And it's also sitting on my desk. It reminds me that perhaps today, perhaps it's today he's coming back. Perhaps today, am I gonna be ready? Am I ready, spotless and, and, and joyful and peaceful in Christ Jesus? And lastly, as we wait, be productive here. As we wait, he tells us, grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow. Be holy, more like Jesus. Be godly. Grow in Jesus. The beautiful thing of this passage in all of Scripture, everything God requires of us, God provides for us. Did you hear that? Everything God requires of us, God provides for us. In Second Peter, we have learned that it was grace and grace of God alone that he's given us everything we need. It says in first, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, that God has given us his grace in Christ Jesus, that, that each one of us can stand in God's presence, his holy presence, that each one of us has equal standing, that sinners like us have access and welcome. He's given us that grace through the work of his son. He tells us in chapter 1 that he's given us everything we need for living in godliness, that by God's grace he's empowered us to live. And we realize through this he's also given us the grace to wait. Wait until he brings to fruition all of his promises. My uncle came through with a watch. I was looking for it this morning. I couldn't find it, but I know I still have it. It's an awesome watch. It was a, it was a Seiko. It not only had the day date, it had the day. It was silver with a little gold. The, the, the middle links were all gold. It had gold around the face. Man, was I thrilled that that promise finally came through. But that watch... Kind of ironic, something so temporal. Something I can't find right now. But there's a promise that's coming that's eternal. There's a promise that's coming that we all long for, and it's, it's Jesus' return. And it will oh so be worth the wait. Mary Shingler's daughter, Mary and Larry Shingler's granddaughter, is being baptized this morning. And they're daughter-in-law, I believe, sent this text about her baptism. We're going to close with this. She's ready to get baptized and might do so this coming Sunday. She and I were talking about it in the car, and I said something about, quote, when Jesus comes back. And she said, wait, he's coming back here for us? I affirmed that, yes, he would return for us one day. No one knows the hour or the day, but he will return for all of us. She started giggling uncontrollably, laughing and giggling. I'm just so happy. He's coming back for me. He won't be invisible anymore. We can hug him. Yes, I said, laughing with her. And you know what he will say when he sees you? 80, it's finally, it's finally you. I'll get to hold you and hug you and pick you up. Man, I love you so much, 80 Gray. She laughed and smiled and giggled and said she thought he would be a really good hugger and would smell good like her daddy. 
Then she said, man, I'm sure glad Mary and Joseph had that baby. My heart's overwhelmed with getting to experience that level of joy over our Savior returning for us one day. She just came in and told me that she kind of feels like crying because she can't believe he's coming back. And she's just so happy. May that be our reality. He's coming back for you. And may that make us so happy. Let us pray. And Father God, we thank you that you're long-suffering and patient with sinners like us. God, we thank you that you didn't slam the book of time shut and says, I can't take it anymore. These people, they're so stubborn. But you're so patient and long-suffering saying, I desire that none shall perish. I will wait. And I will wait for the last sheep to return to the fold, for the last child to come home. And then I will come and fulfill my promise. And God, may your church, as we wait, do that which you've exhorted us to do, to live holy and godless lives, to be spotless and blameless and be filled with great peace, to be not caught up in in, in this scheme or that scheme, to know that no one knows the day you're coming, but we all should be ready. And as, as we wait, we all should be productive and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. All right, let's stand and sing together.